Well, it's so good to see each of you as we begin this, this service, as we conclude this year. It's so good to see Dr. Fenton here as he was able to be here to baptize his grandson. And also all of you all gathered together, as John said, into one service and uh, sharing together. It was my pleb- uh, uh, privilege and pleasure this last uh, year on January 1st, 2017 to preach the first sermon of 2017 and now on December 31st of 17 the last sermon so the first and the last of the sermons and then we've had a lot of good preaching in between <laughs> and uh, so delighted to have it and it has been a good year a good year for our church we're so delighted with our pastor David uh, Eldridge who's come to uh, lead and preach And he's done a wonderful series over the last several weeks on the songs that are in uh, Luke chapters 1 and 2, the songs of Christmas, the carols of Christmas that were first sung. And so I want to continue in that same frame because there's one other character that is presented in Luke chapter 2 that uh, although we don't have the words that she spoke, we do have the melody. And it's my feeling that this is an unchained melody that continues to this day. And so we're going to look in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 36 through 38, and see Anna's anthem, an unchained melody. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 2, And I would encourage you to keep your Bible open because there's some particular things within this passage that when we read through the Bible and we read through this passage in the book of Luke, it's one of those passages that's one of the, it's kind of like a pass-through. We read it through because the words are there, but we skip some of the meaning, and I want to examine that today. Beginning in verse 36, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The Lord add his blessings to this this passage as we read it and seek to understand. What I'm going to share with you this morning is three parts to this particular passage. First of all, the extreme nature of this person, Anna, and then the thanksgiving that she gave and the witness that she presents, and then try to bring it home with a point that helps us as we close this year and prepare for the coming of a new year. And the first thing you'll notice as you look at this passage is just the the fact of the extreme nature of the song, the extreme part of the song and the witness of Anna in this passage. And in there you see it says, first of all, that she was a prophetess. So we see the extreme role that she had. There are five times in Scripture that we have a person designated as a prophetess, most in the Old Testament, but here in the New Testament we have Anna listed. 
Anna the prophetess. Now, in just prior to this verse, in previous uh, words, we have Simeon who came and blessed Jesus. As they were entering into the temple for the time of purification, Mary and Joseph coming into the temple with the infant Jesus, Simeon steps up and then has the words of blessing upon him at that moment. And he's just called Simeon. But now we have Anna who appears at that same place at that same time, Anna the prophetess. Evidently, she's someone who's well-known by the people. She'd been around for a while. They knew her in her role as speaking truth of the Word of God. A prophet is not someone necessarily who is foretelling the future as much as it is forth-telling the truth of the Word of God. And she had that as her role in that place. So she had that extreme role as a prophetess. Not only do we have that, we see her extreme heritage. It says she's the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Phanuel is a name that is reminiscent of the name that Jacob gave to the location. After the night in which he had wrestled with the angel and his name had been changed from Jacob to Israel, he named that place Peniel, which means the face of God. And so the name Phanuel is reminiscent of that name, the face of God. The tribe of Asher was one of the tribes of the kingdom that these, these individuals. So basically what Luke is doing in these first two chapters is presenting for us the proof of the divinity and the coming of Jesus Christ as the Savior. And so he presents with Anna as this prophetess who is of a heritage of a Jew who is there in that place to affirm this child to be that which we had been looking for, which they had been looking for. Not only her extreme role and her extreme heritage, but we also see that she is of extreme age. Now, this is where this passage can have some difference in translation. It says that uh, she was very old. She had lived with her husband for seven years after marriage. Usually in that time, a, a young woman was married at the age of around 14 or 15. So at the age of about 21 or 22, she became a widow. And it says that she uh, lived with her husband for seven years after marriage and then was a widow until 84. Now, this, trans this passage can be said she lived for a, a widow 84 years longer, which would then put her at probably around 105. Well, either way, if she's 84, 105, what Luke is presenting for us is an individual who is respected because of her elder age. So this is not just some person who just walked up giving a testimony about this child being the, the Christ. She is a person who has a, a respected role as a prophetess, respected heritage in her background, respected age in her life. But also we see her devotion. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day. And saying that night and day, sometimes it may be said day and night in your passage. That's the way we say it in our vernacular. Night and day, the, the Jewish day began at sundown. So tonight at sundown would begin the next day. And so night and day is a way of expressing she was there continuously. It's what we say is they're at the church all the time. Every time the doors open, they're at the church. And some of you, that's your your way, we, you say that about you, they're here all the time. And that's basically what they're saying about it. She was there continuously. She was faithful at the temple there. 
fasting and praying. And the word praying there is not a word of prayer that means that she's asking for herself. It is a petitionary prayer, petitioning God for the coming of the Messiah. And she's been doing this for a very long time. So these are things that we would see about this, this individual. We see her in this extremeness of her life. And what we tend to do, I think, is uh, sometimes when we come to like the end of a year and the beginning of a new year, it's the opportunity for us to begin a new year and we set goals for ourselves, resolutions, whatever you want to call that. Perhaps you're already beginning in that phase of looking of what I'm going to begin to do this next year. And when we see someone who is very extreme in what they do, it, it either intimidates us or we want to uh, imitate that person. Um, for example, here we are at the beginning of the new year, and we're interested in getting in better shape. And so you're, you're going to go and to participate at the gym and some exercise, and then you go and you see someone who is obviously very well fit and you look at that person you see the extreme nature of that and you it intimidates you and you you don't know how to use the machines you're you're the person on the video who has your hand in one thing and your foot in the other thing that's wrong and everybody is watching you and and you become intimidated by that and so early on in the month of January you, you just kind of back away because of the extreme nature you get intimidated by that or you try to imitate somebody who's done it very well, and you, you become a little discouraged. So after a few weeks, you get back into your old lifestyle, and that, that, that resolution's gone. Or you get into other things with your diet. You, you think, okay, I'm going to eat this kind of food. You know, just the cabbage just raked over the water, not even getting into the water. You're going to have that as your soup for a while. You're, you're going to do something. You, you go to the extreme, and you get very intimidated by this. And so after a few weeks, you give it up. Are you Bible reading? I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And you begin with Genesis and the Exodus and the great stories that are there, and you're all into it. Then you get to Leviticus. <laughs> and you just fall off. And I know y'all have heard me say this many times, but again, I want to, if, you're, if you're looking at doing this this year, I encourage you to do that. Get to Leviticus, get a red marker, a highlighter. Every time you get to the word atonement or sacrifice, mark it. And then after you've gone through all of this about purifying and all these different things, look back and see how many times you've marked the red in your Bible and just celebrate and say, Jesus, you are my atonement, you are my sacrifice. It'll get you through Leviticus. And then you can go through the rest of the Bible. But the extreme nature of, I'm going to read through the Bible, and then you, you hit these bumps, and you just give up, and you go back to just where you were. Sharing your faith. Sharing your faith. Entering into a gospel-centered conversation with someone. You say, okay, as I begin this new year, this is my goal, and I want to share my faith. Then you see someone like Anna, Anna, who's here, and you see the extreme nature. She's there day and night. She is there fasting and praying all the time, and you look at this, and it's intimidating to see Anna. If we want to 
imitate her, it's hard for us to do because then we start thinking, okay, am I going to be with placard signs on Lakeshore in front of Sam's uh, presenting? The, the extreme nature of that idea, is that something that you're thinking, okay, that's what I've got to do? I can't do that. By the way, I very much respect that guy for being out there all the time. But we get to the point of thinking the extreme. Our mind takes us to the extreme and we get intimidated and we hit the bump of the extreme and we go back to just being the normal. Well, the point I'm trying to make from this is we do not need to be intimidated by the extreme of Anna. Nor do we have to think we've got to imitate that extreme. What we've got to do in this year is we've got to be surrendered to what God would have us to be. And entering into those gospel-centered conversations with our neighbor, with our friend, our workmate, family members, that we have those opportunities that come, that we recognize it's not in the extreme that God is expecting us to live. It is in that stream of life. That when we're there, living life, entering into gospel-centered conversations, that we carry on the melody, the unchained melody that Anna presents in this passage. And so Anna's anthem is the unchained melody of entering into gospel-centered conversations with others. So there are two words from this passage that I want to clamp down on as we begin to see how we can, in knowing the extreme, how we can this year in our daily life be involved in sharing the gospel. First word comes up, says she gave thanks. This is a song of thanks. Now, when we think of the word thanks, it sometimes, in this time of year especially, we think of it in that perfunctory, uh, very superficial, you know, you, all of us probably this afternoon on our to-do list is we have that stack of thank you cards that we know we need to write after Christmas. And it's, dear Grandma, Thank you so much for the gift of your money. It was the right color and the right size. <laughs> ha ha. Dear mom, thank you for the socks. They were the right color and the right size. Ha ha. Dear boss, thank you for the jelly. <laughs> but what about the bonus? Ha ha. That's not the kind of thank you that is listed in this word thanks. This word thanks that's used in this passage only occurs one time in the New Testament. There's another word for thanks that's used continually through Scripture, through the New Testament. This word thanks is just used one time in the New Testament. It is a combination of 
It's a, it's a word that has a prefix, a prefix on the first of it, a, a part of it on the first of it that gives it the word thanks, but it's a word that is commonly used in Scripture without the prefix. And it's a word that basically means confess. It's the same word when you take just that last part of this word. It's the same word that's used in 1 John's. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's confess. If we confess our sins, confession of sin is not necessarily a promise to God that we'll never sin again. That's repentance. That's nothing. That's changing of our mind. Turning from sin is that saying to God, this is sin and I turn from this. And we make that commitment to turn away from sin. Confession literally means to agree with God, this is sin. One of the reasons that we tend to fail to confess sin is that we equate the fact that this means Okay, I promise God I'll never do this again. So when the sin happens again, you say, well, I can't tell God I did this because I've already promised him that I'm never going to do this again. So I'm just going to avoid it and not talk about it so that I don't have to, to come to that point of expressing to him, okay, I failed you again. Confession of sin is to agree with God this is sin. And one of the reasons that confession is so helpful to us is the more we agree with God, the less appealing the sin is. And so when we come before God, he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your, all your sins and cleanse you, cleanse you from unrighteousness. And so that word confess is the root word for this word thanks. Paul used it in Romans chapter 10. If we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. But for with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And an interesting thing about this word that appears one time in Scripture, it has no relationship whatsoever to our word anthem. When you have a choir that's singing an anthem. But if you say the word, and I can't say it, it's a Greek word, but, but when you say it in the original language, it sounds to our English ear like anthem. Anthem It sounds like anthem. So that's why, for me, I'm calling this Anna's anthem. It is Anna's Anthemologio, her expression of thanks to God. Her expression of thanksgiving to God that she is giving in this passage. It is not just a perfunctory thank you for Jesus. It is a confession. He is our Lord and Savior. And so when she heard Simeon make this pronouncement, this blessing upon this child, she stepped up in that moment and said, this is the one. And she began to thank, and she was confessing before all who were there, this is the one. So the first word is that of 
thanks. If we're going to, this year, enter into those gospel-centered conversations, one of the first things we need to have in our heart is thanks. When you have a thankful heart for what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, it is a confession that comes out from us in natural conversation. It's what we have experienced through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And Anna's anthem is that unchained melody. The melody that began with her that continues to flow on through to today. It's a word of thanks. But also this this Anna's anthem is a song of witness in which she says, the second word that I say is the word spoke, which she spoke about the child. And this word is a word that carries, it is a continual. And that's where that unchained melody goes. This is a continual witness that she gave. She continued to give this witness for the remainder of her life. And as Simeon said, now I can go in peace because I've seen this child. No telling how much longer Anna lived, but as long as she lived, she continued to speak of this event. And what she said, that she spoke to those who were looking forward to the redemption. This is an idea of felt need. Felt need. Everyone you come in contact with, everyone you will come in contact this year, has a felt need. Their felt need might be in regards to the loss of a loved one over this last year, and their need is to know that God's love is there for them during a time of sorrow. Some others, a felt need may be because of relationship with their children, relationship with their work. Those felt needs They come together in those points, and as you enter into a conversation with someone about their felt need, in this situation, the felt need of the nation of Israel at that moment was that there would be a coming Messiah who would come and rise up a an army rise up, a gathering who would be able to run the Romans out of the nation and restore the nation of Israel back to its former glory. And they could be the nation that they had been in the days of David and Solomon. And that was the felt need of the nation. But Anna worked through that felt need to the point of the gospel. You see, their felt need was political, temporary removal of an enemy. But what Jesus Christ was coming to do was not to redeem Israel to a restored nation, but to redeem them from their lostness of sin. See, God created this world. He created mankind as his, his highest of creation, 
But in our being here, we disobeyed and sin entered into this world. And through sin, there was death and destruction that came. And there was a need, not just a felt need, but a need for that redemption from our sins. So God, in time that was correct and perfect in his timing, sent Jesus Christ to live and walk among us and then to take our sins upon him on the cross and die for our sins, take our sins upon him and redeem us from our sins. So the felt need that they had was just a felt need. The real need they had was redemption from sin. So as you enter into a gospel-centered conversation with someone and you begin with them and you listen to their felt need, you can help lead them to their real need, the redemption that comes to Jesus Christ. So Anna's anthem is a song that goes on and is with us today. Paul, when he came to the end of his life in a prison in Rome, preached the gospel unhindered. In Acts chapter 8, verse 31, it talks about the fact that Paul was there in that prison, but yet he preached unhindered. Unhindered. It was an unchained melody. And that word continues today, that we continue that witness of Paul. The witness that Anna presented is a witness that Paul continued as a witness that we present today. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, listen to these words. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And there's that word. The word confess. The word that is the core word for what Anna was saying in that passage of thanks. Let us hold firmly to the faith we thankfully live. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The life of the unchained melody is not thanksgiving, it's thanksgiving, living out the gospel-centered message. Anna was a lady of extremes, extreme age, extreme heritage, extreme devotion, extreme role as a prophet. But she was a lady of thanks, thanks living. She was a lady who spoke a witness. Let us not be intimidated by the extreme nature of Anna, but let us imitate the witness 
that she presented. As we close out 2017 and we begin a new year, let us begin that with a renewed commitment to being gospel-centered in our lifestyle. The time comes for an invitation. And in that invitation is a time for you to respond to the gospel message, the message that Jesus is Lord. And respond to that by receiving and accepting that Lordship of Jesus Christ and closing out this year and entering into a new year knowing that you know Jesus as your personal Savior. That's a major part of what the invitation is all about. It's also an opportunity for you in your, where you are in your pew, where you sit, for you to say, Lord Jesus, this year, I know I've been so intimidated by the extremes of those who witness and share their faith that I've turned and gone the other way and I've been so negligent in my lifestyle. May this year be a year of thankfulness, thankfulness in my heart that flows out through my conversations. As I listen to the felt need of people around me, help me to be able to lead them to the real need of their need for their Savior. And we enter into those gospel-centered conversations. Perhaps you're looking for a church home. You come to this time of this year and you said, it's time for me to commit, be a part of a church family that I can grow and serve and be a part. The invitation is an opportunity for you to come and express that. We'll help you in being able to understand what that means to be a part of a church family. We pray for you. And we stand together. Father, we thank you as we come to this end of a year. We thank you that you are a gracious God who has provided for us a gracious salvation. And as we hear Anna's anthem, an anthem of thanks, of presenting the gospel message, help us this year to take that unchained melody that has been sung and sung through the years by those who presented the gospel message. May we this year look for those opportunities to be gospel-centered. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.